This is the Kingdom Encounter Podcast with Glenn Blakeney. And in terms of what it literally means to be in Christ, that's such a deep thing. Um, the Bible talks about how we're in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's new creation. And it talks about Christ in you as well. So those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know that? That word wait in the Hebrew language means to bind together by twisting. So if you take two cords, you wrap them together, they become one, but they're still two. So the idea is that, that when you wait on the Lord, you become one with the Lord. So the idea is that we are created in him um, and we are created that Christ is in us and we are in him. But then when you go into Ephesians chapter four, he talks about, Paul talks about this, about our identity. And he says, he says, you know, put off this, put off that, but put on this. In other words, put off lying. Uh, one example, I put on speaking the truth and love to one another. But he really summarizes it in that fourth chapter by saying something really profound. I'm just going to read this from the New King James Version. Um, so starting at verse 20, but you've not so learned Christ if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So how many know that Paul, who's ministering right in the beginning of things, you know, I mean, their church is just so young and yet he's already saying, we've got some issues here because some of you guys haven't been taught the truth regarding Christ already in the such early stages. So, so one of the things he, he addresses right away is he says, if you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, listen to this, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on. So let's say that with me tonight. Say put off, put off. and put on. put on. Okay. And you put on the new man. Now listen to this which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, notice he says was created, past tense, okay? Now, we know 2 Peter 1, 4 talks about how through these exceedingly great and precious promises that God's made available to us, there's a new covenant promises, we become partakers of the divine nature, all right, guys, let's stop there. I said, I said this last night. I just want to say it again. You're not called to live like human beings. You were created in the image and likeness of God, and you were created and endowed with a new nature, which is called the divine nature. And look what I just read to you. I want to just reiterate it. It says, then that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. What? Does that verse mean? Let me read it to you in another translation. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, verse number 24 of Ephesians 4, it says, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. All right, so in Christ we were born Again, we are born of the Spirit, but what actually takes place is we become partakers of the divine nature. We begin to share in the very nature of God. 
and there's so many scriptures that talk about this. Like 1 John 3, 9 says that the person who's been born of God cannot sin. You remember that scripture? Everybody's like, oh. And, and then what do we do? We so water that down. And, we, and you know, I, I was taught this in, in seminary. And I was taught, well, you know what? It, that actually means you cannot habitually sin. Like, you can sin. Well, true. But you cannot habitually sin. But here's the point that John's trying to make. He's trying to say that you cannot sin naturally. You cannot sin naturally. Listen, what does it mean if you are a partaker of God's nature? How many think that his nature is a natural nature or is it a supernatural nature? I mean, the philosophers talk about the supra-rational. You know, the supra-rational, thank you, is all about having, it's not that it's irrational, but it's beyond our reasoning. It's beyond our figuring out. So God is what? He's not a man, Mark already said that, that he would lie, right? He is God, and what is it? that makes him God, that he's unlike anyone else. It's very simple. <laughs> he's God. He's not a man. No one is like him. He's highest. And the fact that he's holy means what? We said this, the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. We said the word holy, hagios, literally means not of the earth, not of the dirt, not of the soil. Be holy for God is not of the earth, not of the dirt, not of the soil. So we have to become holy in the sense that we begin to live and conduct ourselves in a way that is not natural. And what I mean by that is, listen to me, when you, before you were born again and became a partaker of the divine nature, it was natural for you to sin. Because you were just doing, you were following, you know, Paul talks about that, right? You were following basically the impulses and the, of your own nature, the flesh. And so it's like natural for you to sin. But what happens when you're born again, born of the Spirit, born from above, then now all of a sudden things begin to change. The most miserable person in the world is a Christian who's become a partaker of the divine nature, but they're stuck in the flesh. That's why Paul addresses this. He says, you're in a place where you've got to put off because that's not who you are anymore. You were. But now you're this, you're new. You have a new nature and it's no longer natural for you to sin. It's no longer natural for you to do these things. And guys, what we have done in the church, and we've done such disservice to the gospel, we've diluted the gospel, we've, we've made it void of its power, is we've preached a message that basically says, you just got to try harder. But that's never going to work because you don't have what it takes. You can stop uh, uh, doing, you know, doing something, a behavior, uh, uh, whatever it may be, 
to a certain degree, some people, you know, they quit doing this or doing that. But ultimately, we're not just talking about behavioral modification. We're dealing with being a completely different person. I mean, if I were to totally geek out in this and break it all down and what do the words mean in Greek and everything, it would blow you away. Because he isn't saying that now that we've come to Jesus, he's given us an upgrade. The word that is used when he says new creation literally means something unprecedented, something unseen, something that you've never experienced before. Like you can, you can wash your car, you can clean it, put a coat of wax on it, even new paint, and you're like, wow, it looks like a brand new car. But it's not really a new car. I mean, it just looks good. That's not the word that's used when he says you become a new creation. He's saying you are a different person, a different creation. You're not who you were at all. That old man is dead. So now, put off. Why do you keep digging up that corpse? Put it off. Put on the new man. So it, now there's things that are unnatural for you to do. Sin. Live in the flesh. That's why you feel bad. If you don't feel bad when you sin, you're not born again. It's very simple. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, right, Romans 8 9, it says, if any man has this, he does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not God's. So, if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, you don't belong to God. Paul said that, Romans 8 9. So the truth is, what takes place is when the Spirit comes, Jesus said in John 16, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Then He breaks that down. He doesn't say sins. He says sin, singular, because they believe not. So in other words... Like, if God were to convict us of all of our sins, we couldn't take it. Like, you ever say that? Like, well, do I need to confess every evil thing I did? No, because you can't even remember it. In fact, you don't, you're not even aware of every evil thing you've done. Because the Bible says the heart is, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So if it was dependent on you... Uh, you know, literally enumerating every little evil thing you did or big evil thing that you've done, you would never, ever be able to be saved because you don't even, you can't even dig that up. You can't even recall all of that. So, but what it is, is he's saying, I'll convict you of sin, singular, and then he says, because they believe not. This is the work of God to believe in him whom, whom he sent. The Jews said, what works should we do that we might be saved? Jesus said, this is the work, singular, believe on him whom he sent. When you believe in the biblical sense, what it means, it always has to do with obedience, but it comes with clinging and adhering to and laying hold of and just saying, you know what, this, I'm all in. And I give you all, and then something happens. You're born from anothen is the Greek. It means born from above. It literally means another realm, another dimension. You're not of this world. And so 
it's unnatural for you to do those things if you're truly born again. So what's the solution? The solution is get born again, get God's nature in you, and he's going to make you very uncomfortable. Guys, behavioral scientists tell us if there's no friction, we're not going to change. The Holy Spirit's really good at creating friction. So what happens is now all of a sudden he's like, okay, my nature is in you. And guess what? There's things now that were unnatural, even impossible for us to do that now are natural for us to do. Because we are partakers of the divine nature, God's nature, which is a supernature, tracking with me, it is now natural for us to live supernaturally. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, why are you acting like mere men? Mere humans, the NIV says, to the church in Corinth. Why are you acting like humans? Because we is. Wrong answer. Paul's like, he calls them saints, not of the earth. They're acting very carnally, well, that's not who they were. So let me just take you back to the very beginning. And I just want to break some things down about what God actually wants to do in us and through us individually. And then, of course, collectively as the church. So we go back to Genesis chapter one. Everybody knows on the sixth day, God made good coffee. No. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is. I'm wanting a coffee and look at the time. I got to get up in the morning. I can't do that. <laughs> All right. Ever since I've come to Australia, I'm drinking too much coffee. All right. Let's pick it up. Verse 26, Genesis 1. Then God said, let us Make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Pretty creepy. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know the story, right? What do we see happening here? God says, okay, first of all, let us make man according to our image and likeness. And then he talks about now that we created them, we're going to give them authority. We're going to give them authority. They're going to exercise dominion. They're going to fill the earth. They're going to subdue it and operate and exercise dominion over everything that was created. Of course, this is before they sinned, and there's no reference to, you know, Satan here, even though we know the enemy. Well, that's a long, that's getting too deep, but um, let's stay on track. Okay. So what happens is, here, here's the point. He's gave us two things, okay? He gave us identity, and he gave us a destiny. Our destiny is to live victoriously, to overcome, to exercise dominion. That assignment is to fill the earth, to see literally the kingdom of God spread out to the ends of the earth. Because, you know, this is the establishment of God's kingdom. You realize that. 
It's the, the gospel, the kingdom that must will be preached throughout the world as testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come, is what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. So if we don't know what the gospel of the kingdom is, we can't accelerate the coming of the day of God, according to 2 Peter 3, 12. See, well, many of us have a mindset of evacuation, but Jesus said we have to have a mindset of occupation. So we're waiting for God to take us out of here. He's waiting for us to exercise dominion and to occupy. We have a responsibility to preach the gospel of the kingdom, king's dominion, throughout the world to all the nations. And then the end will come. They asked him, what would be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Wars, rumors of wars. All this stuff will happen. Verse 6, but don't freak out. The end is not yet, Jesus said. But what are we doing? We're freaking out. The end is coming. He said the opposite. Don't freak out. The end is not yet. Well, he didn't say freak out, but you get my point. Right? Verse 8, these are birth pangs. What did he say? You focus on what I created you for. I created you to walk in dominion and to exercise my authority and to preach this gospel of the king's dominion. We have absolute authority. It doesn't matter how crazy people get, how much the enemy attacks us, or how, you know, the enemy always tries to do something to try to, to distract us, um, or even just to kind of provoke us, you know, to get to get a response from us. You know, what what's what, what am I thinking? It's kind of like to get a rise out of us. Hmm? And and it's like it's so easy just to say, no, not going there. But by the way, I'm not just saying ignore that. I'm going to deal with that in Jesus name. Stop. Like when, when I first got saved, Okay, like we grew up, Lynn and I, and when we got married, we moved into the worst neighborhood in the worst city in Canada. Okay, I mean, it was called Bomb City, literally, because mafia killing each other, gangs, I mean, crazy, always some crazy stuff going on. Okay, and we lived in the worst part of that city. So, there's all sorts of demonic stuff. I'm newly saved. I get on a bus and demonized people just walk up to me and start saying, who do you think you are? Like, it's a true story. This kind of stuff is going on. Everywhere I go, I remember the first time I got invited to preach the gospel in Africa and I was getting ready to go there. I was sitting in my car in the car park, just sitting there waiting and, you know, it's just a, a week or two away. And some homeless guy walks down the street. He stops. He turns around. And he walks up to my car and goes, if you go to Africa, you're going to get killed. <laughs> oh, I wonder where that came from. Yeah. So we, we, get, we have to understand that all of this stuff, this is like, guys, when you begin to step out in the things of the Spirit, these kind of things happen. 
Like, it's weird, I get it, but it's natural too, right? Because we're in the spiritual realm. And, and we go, oh my gosh, like, no. It's like, no, like, it's natural. Like, shut up, devil. Get behind me. Like, come on, it's not a big deal. And I can tell you so many crazy stories. When we first started off, like crazy stuff. But the point is, you know, we, we learn very quickly how to deal with this, okay? So I went to Bible college and seminary, and it was like the most prestigious seminary in Canada at the time in the sense that for a Pentecostal um, Assemblies of God organization, it was like, we're not just affiliated with, we are actually university level, right, which is secular and the whole deal. And so it was like all this stuff. And I'm like, these guys like w would go there and backslide. They go there, they're on fire. Then they go there and they backslide and they lose their, their passion for Jesus. And so they never taught us how to heal the sick or cast out demons for some reason. Like they taught us how to exegete passages of scripture. You know, we had to take Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff and do it all. But like they never taught us how to cast out demons. Wow, isn't that interesting? And yeah, that's what Jesus commanded us to do, right? He didn't say... And as you go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exegete scripture and make sure you deliver homiletically. You know, I mean, he didn't do that. He, he said, heal the sick, cast out demons, and so on, raise the dead. So the first time, like this is how we learned to deal, how to deal in deliverance. So here we are, we're in the inner city, it's really bad. Like the introduction to ministry in this place, like literally the, we rent the storefront in the city. It's really bad. It's really dark. And right above us is like a brothel, basically. Okay. And one night, we're, our church is in a storefront below, but up above us, there's like apartments and like a brothel up there. And so one night, we just had amazing services. The presence of God was so strong. And I walk out and someone dumps a bucket of urine on me. Welcome to ministry. Welcome to the neighborhood, right? Okay. So I'm like, okay. War time, right? <laughs> Show time, right? So, so, so I'm like, sorry, I'm just very by nature, that, but that's my good nature, not the carnal nature, right? Right. So, so I'm like, okay, it's on, man. And and so we were like, okay, we're going to deal with this stuff. So one night, this woman shows up, and she came out of Satanism, like full-on Satanism, all that stuff. And at the end of the night, um, all of a sudden, like most people are gone. There's just a few of us there. And like maybe six or seven people, that's it. And all of a sudden, she starts manifesting full-on. Okay, And then she picks up a chair and starts screaming. I won't use all the effects. And starts screaming with the chair over her head, running at me. So I'm like, okay, I've got a couple of options here. Okay, I 
kick her as hard as I could. Because so I was, you know, martial arts. I trained in martial arts. So I got to like, I could probably do this and take her out if I time it right. Okay. I run. Option two. Or I got to try this in the name of Jesus stuff and see if it actually works. So it's like. My friends had told me, yeah, we were, you know, we were, had a Bible study in our home and this person began to manifest. And, and so we just said, in the name of Jesus, and we took authority and like, they were delivered. And we we're like, wow, that's so cool. But I had never done it and never seen it. So I just like, okay, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. She stops. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like we got the power, baby. And... And I'm like, this thing works, you know? And then put the chair down. She drops the chair. Like, we going for the juggler now. <laughs> like, we're going for it. <laughs> but seriously, it was like, okay, in the name of Jesus, come out! Full-on manifestation, the whole deal, and the demons came out. And the presence of God came in. She was baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, it's kind of like throw you in the deep end of the pool, right? Learn how to swim. Um, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming, but sometimes it works. So, my point is, when we begin to understand who God has created us to be and the authority he's given to us, guys, we, we can deal with anything. We, we can deal with anything, okay? I mean, tonight I was having all these flashbacks. I was thinking of some of these stories, and I was thinking, like, crazy things that happened. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the enemy absolutely hated me. When I think about it, he hated me. And what he hated about me, you know what it was? Is my commitment to Jesus was to be in the glory, to live in the glory, so I would spend a lot of time in prayer and intimacy with him. And, and out of that, you know, I just so conscious of his presence, his anointing in my life. And, you know, we started to see miracles happen. And we started to see amazing things take place. Like one time I had, I was reading the newspaper. Remember, they used to have this thing called the newspaper. I don't know. But... Like, I think this was in the 80s. And it was kind of like, you know, the phone that was on the wall. Or, and then we got the cordless version. So, um, so anyways, here I am reading the newspaper. And I read this article about these um, young people, these youth. And they were living in this part of the city where we were. And they found... Um, a dead body in the refrigerator in, in one of the apartments. And the police came in, they dealt with it. And, and I was like, oh, wow. And the Lord said me, go and tell them about my love. And so, like, there was so much like David Wilkerson's story when he was sent to New York City, very similar. And, and I, it was like, yeah, it was late at night when he said that to me. And he said, go. So I went to a, a, the pastor of the church we were at, and I told him. And he said, so when are you going? He's a real man of faith, really. 
And then, so I said, okay, so I asked a friend to go with me. So we go there. We, like, in the paper, they said the area where it was, so we figured out it's these apartments. So we show up, and outside, there's, you know, several of these youth, they're just hanging out, and I think, okay, this has got to be the entrance into the apartment. There's, there's a door, but it's locked, and then you go up a flight of stairs. Real old buildings, World War II buildings, and you go up the flight of stairs, and I figured they had to be up here. So we're like, we pull the door and like, can't get in. We even knocked for a while, tried to get someone's attention, nothing. So we just said, okay, Lord, if you want us here and you want us to share the gospel with them, help us to get into this building. In Jesus' name, amen. Cling, look at our feet. There's a key. Where did that come from? And I'm like, no way. Don't tell me. Like, this is too freaky. That key, that door. Yeah, we got to try it. Pick up the key, put it in, and yeah, it's the door. It opens up. We go upstairs, share the gospel with, with these guys, and we spend, you know, quite a bit of time ministering to them. And I want to just tell you that when God has called us, that calling isn't based on what we have or who we are, but it's based on his commissioning, that he's commissioned us to exercise authority. So we have been given authority over the enemy, over evil, over all these things, so we can move in and deal with this stuff. Totally unafraid, okay, led by the Lord when he says go to do what he's called us to do. But this is what I want to unpack a little bit tonight. Um, honestly, I'm going to do this as quickly as I can, okay? Let us make man, the first thing he says, in our image according to our likeness. Now, when he speaks here, there's two different words, image and likeness. The first word, with image, literally means this. Okay, you ready? It means shadow. It's translated shadow in many places in the Old Testament. And so we are to be the reflection of God, okay? His shadow. Now, just by definition, I wrote this down. Just by definition, the word means an image cast by an object and representing the form of that object. That's what it means. So if you read, for example, the new, the message, the message says, create them in our image and let them reflect our likeness. Let them be reflecting our likeness. So when God created us, he created us to reflect his likeness. Now, that means to be created in his image and likeness means we are created not according to him physically. God is a spirit. We know that. But 
we are created in the sense that we become partakers of who he is and we reflect who he is. Now, think about this. When you photocopy some a document, right? I mean, what typically happens back, especially with, with is you photocopy the original and the copy sometimes, especially today, can be so like accurate and, and so clear that you can't tell the difference between the original and the copy. Well, guess what? That's what God wants from us. Now, if you photocopy the copy and then make a copy of the copy of the copy of the copy, then eventually it begins to you know, become inferior in quality. So each one of us was created in his image and likeness to reflect him. Now, may I say to you that in Acts chapter 5, we read about this guy named Peter. And Peter, they reasoned, they said, you know what? Like, let's just bring the sick people and all those who are demonized. And, and if Peter's shadow will, literally in the Greek it says, if Peter's shadow will overshadow them, they'll be healed. I don't think this was about Peter's shadow. Naturally. Because the word means image. Reflecting that image. Again, I, I really the same meaning. So this was about something that Peter carried and emanated wherever he went. The Bible talks about Jesus and how people would reach out and you remember the woman with the issue of blood. She reached out, touched the M of his garment, and she was healed, right? But there's a scripture in Luke that says that multitudes were reaching out and touching him, and they were all being healed as power was flowing out of him. Multitudes. So this is something that's crazy. Going back to Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman... One of my friends, his mom was taken to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting. I found this out when I was probably in my 20s, late 20s. He's, you know, we were talking one day as a Christian, and I said, yeah, I went to Catherine Kuhlman. I was in three of her meetings when I was a kid, and the first meeting, like, my mom said, like, you had bad, you know, allergies and different things, and you were healed just being there. Like, and... And that happened to so many people, just being there in that atmosphere, the shadow of the Holy Spirit that she emanated and reflected so powerfully just resulted in people being healed. So my friend says, my mom is a complete skeptic. My mom does not believe in healing, and she thinks Catherine Kuhlman is absolutely a fake but they kept telling her mom go what do you have to lose and it's kind of like okay just to get you off my back I'll go so they take her and because she's in a wheelchair she sits near the front of the auditorium thousands of people in this auditorium Catherine Kuhlman comes walking out of her dressing room 
and walks by this woman, probably within four to five meters of her, and this woman feels heat go through her body, and she jumps up completely healed. She didn't even believe. She didn't even believe. I spoke with Richard Roberts, who's the son of, or the, son of the late Oral Roberts, one time, and he was telling me about in 1972 or 73, Catherine Coleman came to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she was at what's called the Maybe Center. There are no maybes about it. <laughs> and, and what happened was um, there were, you know, she would spend hours in a room praying, crying out to God. That was her lifestyle. And then she would come out and she would just guys i mean people are lined up outside trying to get in and the presence of god is so strong and you can say what you want but the bible tells us that we were called to carry his glory and there's some people throughout history that have done exceedingly well peter's shadow handkerchiefs and aprons touching the body of Paul placed on the sick and the demonized and they're completely healed and delivered. They reflected, they were like the shadow of God. And so there's some janitors who had been making fun of Catherine Coleman. You know, they're cleaning the auditorium. They're making fun of Catherine Coleman. And it's time for Catherine to come out of her dressing room. And they're like, see her. And she walks by them with her entourage down the hallway. And these janitors fall out under the spirit. So Oral, uh, Richard's saying this. He says, so we had to take her. Like there's so many people in the hallways that we are like, okay, we can't take her down here. So they had to take her through the kitchen. It's like a high school cafeteria, you know, quintessential American. And so they take her through this cafeteria, this kitchen. And as she's walking through the kitchen, like so many people in the kitchen are falling out under the anointing. I'm telling you. Guys, I can tell you stories like people that you might question now some of the things like i can say this publicly because this was stated publicly but within the past couple of years benny hinn said publicly that he lost the anointing because he did he he lost god's favor on his life francis chan there's a video on youtube where francis chan talks about this and as he was in a meeting with Benny Hinn and others, and Benny Hinn just began to say to them with tears in his eyes, don't compromise. Don't, you know, get so full of yourself, so, so you know, enamored with things that you lose the anointing and you, you grieve the Holy Spirit. He said, I have grieved the Holy Spirit and my ministry 
has been reduced to almost nothing because I have grieved the Holy Spirit because of other things that have captured my heart. With tears in his eyes, guys, look, I'm not saying God's done with him. He wasn't saying that, but he's saying he lost so much because of compromise. This thing is so valuable. You were created to carry his image and likeness. In Psalm 8, verse 5, it says that he crowns us with glory and honor. I don't remember everything I say because we speak, and especially recently we've been speaking a lot. But I will just say, and pardon me if I've already said this, that word crowned means to circle, to cover, to envelop. It even means to be clothed. We're clothed with glory. Adam and Eve were clothed with the glory. But when they sinned, what happens? All have sinned and fall short of the glory. We were created to carry this glory. And when the Bible talks about ruling and reigning and exercising authority, it comes from the image and likeness of God in us. It comes from the glory. Wow, there's so much more, but I'm going to stop there. It comes from the image and likeness of God in us. Think about this. Remember the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19? They were like, man, Paul is preaching in the name of Jesus. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. Let's give it a go, right? So they find this man who's demonized, severely demonized, and they walk up to him and they say, in the name of Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches, we adjure you, come out. And they're like, you got to be kidding. You're not serious, are you? Like, you know, it's like, uh, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but who are you? And then the demons in the man literally dive on these guys, overpower them, and they leave naked. Crazy. There's a spiritual implication there. When you're stripped to the glory, you're naked. The church in Laodicea, where Jesus said, contrary to popular opinion, he, when it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, he wasn't knocking in the door of the heart of a sinner. It was a church to the church in Laodicea that was holding religious gatherings where Jesus was no longer permitted you know, Lynn and I have said throughout the years, there's been maybe one or two times where we've taken on some assignments. And, you know, we said, wow, we're actually pastoring a church we wouldn't attend. Can you imagine? Like, we're pastoring a church we wouldn't attend, so things got to change. And not be for us, but because of the standard of God. And... There's only one thing worse than pastoring a church that you wouldn't attend if you weren't the pastor. And that's pastoring a church Jesus doesn't attend. And the church of Laodicea was exactly that. He's on the outside, 
asking, can I come in, y'all? Let me in. Let me come in. Glorious condescension. And they are active, doing their religious things. And yet they're totally uh, insensitive and oblivious to the fact that Jesus and his presence is not even there. It's the vast majority of churches today. We get so far and then we kind of cap it, we cut it off. The problem isn't we don't worship long enough. The problem isn't we don't walk and live in the glory. Because when you walk and live in the glory, you're full all the time. You become a thermostat, not a thermometer. You change the atmosphere. Jesus changed the atmosphere wherever he went. So this whole thing about first love and, and God, like, can I, can I say it? I am known to stir up some things that are somewhat controversial in the church. Thank you for the vote of confidence. But I say this because the scripture says it or doesn't say it. There's no reference to revival in the New Testament. Why? Well, Charles Finney said many years ago in his lectures on revival, he said this, a revival presupposes a declension. What does that mean? It means if someone needs revived or resuscitated, what does that say about a person if they need revived or resuscitated? Like in the natural, someone falls out. And you're like, oh my gosh, right? CPR, mouth to mouth, whatever you got to do, right? To revive them. And you look at that and you immediately go, this is not good. And so when we ask for revival, we're saying that's us. We need resuscitated like we are going to die if something doesn't happen. But the New Testament says we're supposed to go from glory to glory to glory. In Revelation 3, verse 19, again, the church in Laodicea, yes, I'm going to stop. The church in Laodicea, this is what he says, guys, if you're hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll what? I'll spew you out of my mouth. Literally, I'll vomit you is what it says. And he says this. He says, look, those whom I love, I chasten. Okay. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Verse 19. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Then he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Verse 20. To the church. So he calls the church to be zealous and to repent. These are two imperatives. 
The first one, zealous, means to burn with zeal, passion, to be on fire. And then he says, and repent. In Greek, repent is in the aorist tense. And be zealous is in the present tense. What does that mean? It means, the aorist tense means to do it once, it's done, it's decisive, you don't need to do it again, or you shouldn't have to need to do it again. So you repent, but then for the rest of your life, you burn with fire and zeal. So Jesus is saying, normal Christianity is we're always lit we're always on fire. We go from glory to glory. We don't go out. The fire on the altar in Leviticus 6 must be burning continually. It must not go out. So when we're like, oh my gosh. Do you see what I'm saying? All right, have I made my case? Okay. All right. Guys, zeal. Revival. Revival is very simply put, it's normal New Testament Christianity. We should be on fire. We should be burning. We should be alive at all times. Right? That's normal. Normal. And we have to keep ourselves in the love of God. We have to keep ourselves lit. We have to do these things, but it's normal. So, you were created to stay connected to his image and likeness so that inflow is happening and you're constantly representing Elohim, constantly reflecting his image and likeness. Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. Powerful stuff. When we live in the glory, we have authority. This is where I was headed. Remember in Psalm 97, 5, he says, the hills or the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, right? Seven sons of Sceva, try it, say the right words, but nothing happens. Why? No authority. Paul, we know, Jesus, we know, but who are you? Okay, so there, you have no authority. You just represent yourself. So, what he says, though, is that the glory is absolutely where the authority is. So the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. So Jesus says you speak to a hill or a mountain and it will melt. It'll be cast into the sea, right? But it's the authority. The authority. Demons listen. Demons tremble. We were in Asia... We took a team. I, I just got to tell you this story. And we were out like in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was remote. It was bad. It was dark, very dark, full-on witchcraft, really bad. And we end up, one, we had two teams, and our team was in the school, and the other team went to a village. And they called us, you got to get here. This is crazy. So we, we get in the car, we go over, we run down to this village, and here's a woman chained to a wall. Chained to a wall. She had snapped the chains. 
She didn't speak English, but she was speaking English. And saying things like, you're not going to do anything. Why are you here? Leave her alone. She's mine. And so we go in, and she starts swinging the chain. And everyone's like freaking out. And man, it just, again, within, I'm just like, no way. And we're just like, no way, in Jesus' name. Stop it. She falls out under the power. And every time she tried to get up, we just tell her, no, in Jesus' name. No, the demon's in her. And she kept falling down. Guys, she had been married. This is her third husband. Every one of her husbands died of a terrible death. Her third husband was outside, freaked out, afraid of her, chained her to the wall. Okay? Like, really. And we realize, like, God sent us here to help this woman. And the, we had some young people with us. They'd never seen anything like this in their lives. And ended up, like, we're like, guys, do you see this? And they were like, oh, my gosh. Like, the power that we have. The power. Like, you know, like, witch doctor? Like, who the heck are you? Like, I mean, man, I've had Satanists come after me. I had gangs surround me on the streets. Surround me. We're going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, like, I just walk out. Or I just, you know, or they walk away. And one of the guys says to me, he says, man, I don't know who those guys were that were with you, backing you up, but they were big dudes. And I'm like, what are you talking And a gang walks away. Yeah, in Canada. And, and I'm telling you, this stuff is real. It's so real. Right? We read all this in the Scripture. Oh, Lord, open their eyes that they, he, my servant may see there's more with us than against us. Right? I mean, come on. It's all scriptural. So we've been created for this glory. But, guys, we have to learn to walk in this because Holy Spirit is grieved. Holy Spirit is grieved. The Bible talks about resisting the Spirit, grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit. We've been created. We have to put off the old and put on this new man, created in his image and likeness. And as you learn to walk in the glory, as you learn to put on what you were really created for, those garments of glory, and you begin to walk in that, things will begin to change in your life. And my failures have always been predicated on not tapping into the power of us. Let me close with this first, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. It doesn't say according to his power. It says according to the power that works in us. Of course it's his power, but it works in us. resurrection power. So I want to pray for people tonight. I want to pray for deliverance. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for you to experience God's anointing and glory on your life in a fresh way and to make a commitment because it's not just like praying for you. Okay? It's a commitment to walk in that. Can we stand together? Experience God's 
anointing and glory on your life in a fresh way and to make a commitment because it's not just like praying for you, okay? It's a commitment to walk in that. Can we stand together?